podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Morning. Fucking hell. <laughs> what have you come as? <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and I am joined as ever by Stephen Finn and a particularly grumpy Dan Norcross. So I should explain. So normally when we're all in England, we record our podcast sort of late on a Monday night, normally around 10 o'clock. But because Finney is living it up down under, we have to accommodate the star of the podcast, Stephen Finn, and make sure we fit into his busy schedule. So first of all, Finney, look how fresh Finney looks. Is it? It's the evening. What? Talk to me. An Ashes diary. What, what has the life of Stephen Finn been like since we last spoke? I've been working incredibly hard. I've been on the radio most of the day, every day, mm. um, providing insights into what life's like over here in Australia currently and how the team are building up for the Ashes series. So yeah, it's nice for you guys to accommodate me for a change as opposed to us accommodating Daniel Norcross's nocturnal habits. <laughs> no. the, I just, just, just to clear something up, because as you can imagine, I've, I've missed you on the radio being on it constantly for the last week and a half. I don't know why. It's just obviously I've been in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, so what, what have you been saying on the radio? I think I caught 10 minutes of you yesterday at around nine o'clock. Really insightful stuff, really, about how the <laughs> weather's not been that great over here. And that might suit England in this Ashes series. If you're looking at potentially getting out of Brisbane with a draw, because I doubt a ball will even be bold in that test match. And then a day-night test match. And then um, and then a couple in slightly Australia's favour. And then potentially another day-night one in the fifth game. I think that leaves it open for England. So we've just been discussing that almost non-stop for a week now. So, so tell me about this rain in Brisbane, because obviously I have vested interest in that. Owing to the fact that I've got to be up through the night for that game. Is it is it apocalyptic rain? Are we looking at, you know, game will be called off yeah. at 2.30 in the morning and I can go home to bed rain? Uh, potentially, yeah. I mean, it, I'm in Sydney because, because of quarantine. We can't get into Brisbane without doing a 14-day hard quarantine. So we're doing the first test off of TV pictures in Sydney. And, um, and it's just non-stop rained here. I think we've had one day of sunshine and that's probably cumulatively over the course of the time we've been here. So the rest of the time, it's just been grey and dreary, raining a majority of the time. And I can see the glee on your face as I tell you that. I may as well have been in England. Well, I mean, so basically you are currently getting paid. So you're doing the first test off the TV. So basically you've been paid to be flown to Australia to watch TV. No, this is, um, I'm doing this out of the good of my heart, first and foremost, and my love of cricket. <laughs> <laughs> I am, why are yeah. you laughing? So can I make it clear that, that I, I'm not getting flown to Australia to watch game on TV. I'm just being sent to a new broadcasting house to watch it off the TV. Wrapped so up you should be. in these clothes, <laughs> freezing cold <laughs> with tough knock. <laughs> Through the night. It's not quite as glamorous. And you, you were going to make a second point here, Finney. I can't remember what that was. Perfect. Okay, good. Well, we're off to a good nice. start as ever. <laughs> well, enough about Finney, you know, gallivanting around Australia whilst Dan Norcross has to wrap himself up in layers and sit in a dark room with Phil Tufnell for hours on end. Uh, let's talk about the Ashes series because it's been a scary week 
because I don't know if you saw this story about Ben Stokes, but Ben Stokes, who took a long leave from cricket, quite rightly, to look after his mental health. And then finally, he's returned into the England fold. And I don't know if you've seen the videos going around of him batting in the nets, but he looks an absolute million dollars. I mean, that might be clever editing. They might have purposely left out all the ones where he's playing inside the line and, and getting clean bowled. Well, it was, it was also very sunny, Tobes. So one wonders if they're library pictures. <laughs> it, it, it was all very suspicious I did also think I was watching him and if you haven't seen the video it is literally Ben Stokes in the net just pumping the ball to all corners um, I did watch that going that's great if you're watching the video from a Ben Stokes perspective not great if you're watching it from an England's bowling perspective just a load of England bowlers get absolutely teed off against however he said that he had a genuinely scary moment this week he says that he went to go and take a simple tablet, probably something like a Nurofen or something, and it got completely stuck in his windpipe, causing him to choke horribly before the glands in my face went into overdrive to flush it out. Until it actually came out, I genuinely thought this might be the end. We've all had those moments when something gets stuck in the throat and usually someone can help you out. But I was on my own in my room and I couldn't breathe as it became lodged and started to, to dissolve. <sighs> It felt like my mouth was on fire. Without going into too much detail, I've never seen as much saliva as I did on Sunday morning. It was a genuinely frightening experience. The team Ooh. doctor came to see me straight away and she explained what happened with the body reacting the way it did. I'm glad it did, even though I was a mess. I mean, can we just, first of all, can, why is he on his own? He, we need him more than anything. He should be followed around at all times by somebody making sure he's, he's happy, he's healthy, He's okay. We should be wrapping him in cotton wool. He should take the Norcross approach. He should be putting all tablets up his ass from now on. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I've got the man for it. I think, uh, do you remember Hervé Vidachez, the, the bloke who hangs around uh, with Scaramanga in Man with the Golden Gun? Uh, no, I think but we continue. Should, the, the Bond film. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a shortish chap. He's to be in the love boat. And uh, he plays a part of a kind of waiter. And he should, you're right, he should be there as a kind of, like on hand servant for Stokes at all times. And he should be forced to stay awake constantly and check his breathing while he's yeah. maybe you have to have two of them really thinking about it. It's probably a bit of an ask. Yeah, take shifts. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, ben Stokes shouldn't have to do anything that isn't playing Ashes cricket. He shouldn't have to also, feed himself, wipe himself, nothing. How big are these pills, Finny? Do, do you guys have like special super pills? I mean, like a normal Nurofen, how does that get lodged in a... You'd have to have a very narrow windpipe, wouldn't you? No, we get we get the special big fat ones, ones that, that help you out when you're in a bit of pain. Yeah, yeah, they're like double double strength ones. So, yeah, they're, they're relatively big tablets. So you could feasibly get it stuck in your windpipe if it went down Are we the talking wrong like way. a 50pp sort of thing? Are we talking that No, big? they're not that bloddy big. We're, <laughs> we're, <laughs> what do you think we're putting in our mouth? No, it's like a... The little torpedo, the little torpedo ones. I mean, it has to have gone down almost sideways to have lodged in his throat, mm. but it is possible. <laughs> I, I just saw Norcross's eyes. There was a bit of fear in his eyes when he considered the idea of shoving a 50pp sized tablet up his ass every morning. <laughs> <laughs> I do take my tablets orally. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> well, how far are we, uh, do you reckon, Norcross? From when you get one of those trays that says like Monday, Tuesday, yes. which pills and what time you have to take them. 
Well, I'm I'm feeling frighteningly close to that, and and uh, and I felt like I needed it this morning. I can tell you, as <laughs> a smorg because I because I also take you know health giving products as well, like you know black cherry thingamajigs and uh, vitamin C and the like, you know, because obviously you can't maintain this kind of level of fitness without no. uh, outside interference. So, yeah, this morning I've already screwed up. So I, I, I desperately do need that. Right. And in fact, I've, I, I need I need Airway Vilaches from the man with the golden gun. Got you. To come and supply them to me on a silver plate. Isn't that essentially what your what your long suffering partner does anyway? Yeah, but she doesn't really <laughs> perform that task with anything like the acuity of. Well, of, well, if anybody um, listening knick-knack. can donate one of those uh, tablet boards for Norcross that says Monday to Sunday on, so he knows where, what day and what time he's meant to take his medicine, that'd be really useful. <laughs> Uh, Finney, have you been in any contact with any of the England boys at all? Have you have you spoken to them on WhatsApp or physically seen any of those beautiful bastards? No, no, I haven't, not yet. But I think that by the sounds of it, the squad hasn't actually met up together as one yet. So the one-day players or the, the guys who are in the T20 World Cup have come in and had to quarantine for two weeks, and that has overlapped with when the other guys got out. So the other guys have been out training the, the guys who've come from the T20 World Cup haven't even seen their teammates yet. That They're playing an Ashes test match with in about eight or nine days' time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the preparation has been strange. I think both teams are in the same boat with the Australian T20 players coming back into their bubble. Neither team has practised. They've only had indoor nets. And by the sounds of it, from what I'm hearing, Australia haven't even had indoor nets whilst they've been in Brisbane. So... I think it's really very much going to be a case of the team that plays the best of the worst, as in who plays the least bad, um, is going to win this test match because uh, everyone is going into it undercooked. And I think there's probably going to be big concern that some of the bowlers might snap because there's no they've spent 29 overs in the field and that's it so far. And is that is that 29 overs? Is that just England have just managed 29 overs? Because Australia's game was yeah. abandoned, wasn't it? And, yeah, uh, and... And are they going to try to get anything else in between now and what is it? It's Wednesday, isn't it? So it's next Wednesday mm. the game starts. So is there any way they well, can sort of hastily produce three days out cricket somewhere if it's not raining? Well, they're meant to be playing a three-day intra-squad game now, where the England team are playing the England Lions. But that day one got washed out today because it torrential rained all day, and um, it has been here in Sydney as well, where we are on the east coast and. Yeah, it just seems as though there's going to be no opportunity for them to get any sort of match conditioning into their legs, which for the batsman, it doesn't matter. Like you, you sort of switch into your your mentality when you get out there in the middle, I think. You might feel undercooked, but it's possible for you to build a beginnings. But I do think that given that none of these bowlers are going to have bowled anywhere near 20 overs in a day or spent a day in the field, as a fast bowler myself, I can't even tell you how sore you are the day after that first day in the field, no matter how much fitness you do. Just just one question on that, because practically speaking, Australia sent their test bowlers to the World T20, so they'll be in the quarantine situation you're talking about. So they, they'll only just be emerging from that, won't they? Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins. So they won't even have been able, presumably, to be practising much, whereas my England bowlers have a moderate advantage, if there's any advantage to be have, in that Anderson... Broad, um, not Wood, of course, but Anderson Broad, Robinson would have been out there for longer. They'll be out of quarantine for longer. No, to be honest, that's probably the people who've played cricket in a competitive environment the most recently probably have the advantage, I'd say, from a bowling perspective, because they'll have been bowling in the nets, bowling in the heat, 
in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and the competition of international cricket is so different to what you're doing in the nets, especially bloody indoor nets like they're doing now, which no one gets anything out of really um, because it's so artificial compared to what you face when you're out there in the middle of a real pitch. So it's going to be so interesting to see how this first little bit of the series goes until people get up to speed. But um, I do think it presents England with a great opportunity to take advantage of the fact that both teams are going to be undercooked. Well, one man that is seemingly pumped up and ready for the Ashes is Mark Wood. Now, I read this uh, interview that he did earlier this week and I thought, oh, I don't know how I feel about this, Mark. Because I think all three of us sat here except that England are facing a bit of an uphill task here in this Ashes series. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I said 5-0 a few months ago. I haven't changed my mind yet. I should say to Australia, that is. Obviously, as it gets nearer and nearer, the optimistic Englishman in me keeps going, well, if Stokes scores some runs and Addison bowls well and blah, 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 blah. Well, Mark Wood's come out firing this week in an interview. He says uh, that winning in Australia would be one of the biggest achievements of my career. The World Cup was huge. We won the Ashes at home, but to go there to come up against this baggy green thing that they keep talking about. We'll be having our baggy blues on, and I'd love to stick one up them. Finney, what, what do you make of that as an ex-player yourself? Do you, did, you, did you ever stick your head out of the trenches in the build-up to an Ashes series that come out of any bold statements like that? You don't strike me as the sort of guy that would. What do you mean? Well, just a bit of a pussy. He's saying I'm, saying I'm weak. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, enough. yeah. Yeah. Says the bloke who shits his pants every time we mention having the net against each other. <laughs> I'm you so glad you're drop your shopping all over the floor. Yeah, exactly. I'm really glad um, that we're no. in Australia. It's two months where we can't net guaranteed. <laughs> no, I, I'm very much the, the sort of person who likes to keep their head down before a series because I pr- just prefer going about my business quietly and, and trying to be unassuming. I think... Mark Wood is that sort of guy. Um, you know, I think he is the sort of person who wouldn't usually say something like that. And knowing him as I do, it wouldn't be surprised if he was being sarcastic or something yeah. um, when he was when he was saying it. And if you take sarcastic comments and write them in print, they they sound and look completely different. Yeah, I mean, he, he was also he was interviewed. That was quite some time ago. Was it? it's like three or four months ago or something? And it was uh, in a context of interview with his wife. I think, and I think he's probably just being like we all are occasionally uh, bemused and befuddled by the Australian veneration of the Beggy Green. It's the most beautiful thing, the Beggy Green. And, you know, they all start getting terribly lacrimose the moment they think about this wretched piece of cloth. And I think he might just have been slightly laughing at their fetishization of what is, let's face it, a mouldy cap. But um, <laughs> I, I like it. I, th- I think. If you're gonna if you're gonna wind up Australians, it strikes me that the best time to do it is when they're undercooked and stuck in a quarantine hotel, because I just get away with it. And also, he does have the you know the added bonus of Mark Wood. Even if we were to lose five nil, he'll still be able to bowl ninety four miles an hour at everyone's head. So he'll come out of this fine. It's not like any you know, it's not much they can do against it's not Jack him. Leach, is it? It's not exactly. Jack Leach doing it. Yeah. <laughs> no, let's get Jack. We've Jack Leach, friend of the podcast. We've had him on. Can we WhatsApp Jack Leach and get him to just come out all guns blazing in the in the in the Australian media? Can we get him like doing a two-page expose in the Sydney Morning Herald, just slagging off the Aussies? Oh, it'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Jack, if you're listening, please, please. Uh, now, the other big story this week is that Australia have announced their new Test captain, of course. So it was looking until a couple of weeks ago that it was going to be Tim Payne. It is now Pat Cummins, who 
It's really annoying because just before an Ashes series, I really want to hate all Australians and everything Australian to its very fibre, to its very core. But I have an absolute man crush on Pat Cummins. First of all, just because he's a handsome bastard. But secondly, because he's such a good bowler as well. And that last Ashes home series here, apart from the rank long hop he bowled to Ben Stokes to let him hit the winning runs at Headingley, he bowled exceptionally well. It seems like a very, very good choice from a, from an English point of view there, Finney, don't you, Pat Cummins? Yeah, I mean, he's he's an outstanding cricketer and player. I think he's well-respected. From when I spoke to him, he seems to have a presence about him that's calm. Um, he's turned into one of the best cricketers in the world. I do think it's going to be a challenge being a bowling captain because, I mean, the fitness element of it, to stay fit, I think is going to be tricky. But... It, yeah, I, I, I'm open-minded about bowlers being captains naturally because I'm a bowler myself. And I think it might it's probably even slightly easier to be a bowling captain in a test match because the periods of play are actually longer, slower, more drawn-out periods of play where you don't have to make quick snap decisions whilst also concentrating on your bowling. So I think they've already spoken, him and Steve Smith, about how they anticipate their captaincy grouping or partnership working in terms of when Cummins is bowling, it's going to look like Steve Smith is the captain. And then as soon as he finishes his spell, he's going to take over the reins. So it's going to be interesting to see how it works. But but I do think that they've got a good one there. Um, and it's nice for me as a bowler to see a bowler as a captain. It's it's one of the weirdest things, isn't it, guys, that this we've got this idea there's a truth that you can't have fast bowlers as captains or even spinners for that matter and Australia's last bowling captain was Richie Benno England's was probably Bob Willis but everyone forgets people like Imran Khan I mean he was he was quite a good bowler wasn't he Imran Khan he was also quite a good captain you think back to you know back to I know you hate thinking back to the 20s 30s and 40s but England had Gubby Allen Freddie Brown and essentially no one thought there was a distinction between being a batter or a bowler depending on, on whether you're a captain. Well, they tend to have different distinctions. You know, were you posh or not? Were you amateur or not? <laughs> and those guys would get to be captain. So I, I don't see that they've got a problem with having a bowler as a captain. And you're right, it's really irksome, isn't it, that he's such a, a likeable bloke. It'll be really fascinating, though, to see how much Steve Smith is sort of reintegrated because, you see, it's, it's only three and a bit years, isn't it, since mm. he was stripped to the captaincy and no one ever thought he'd get it again. And he's... The way they're talking, he's going to play quite a high-profile role. He's not going to be like your standard vice-captain because, as Finney said, he's going to be effectively captaining during Cummins' spells, of which there will be numerous. And as for Cummins' fitness, I mean, I, I share Finney's concerns, but at the same time, Australia have been really strange when it's come to playing England. They've managed to get Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins out time and time and time again. I mean, they had basically the same three bowlers the entirety of the last Ashes. And that, they were pretty much back-to-back. They were really close together. It's a bit more concertina this tour, but only a little bit. And I think they managed to put the same fast bowlers out the, the previous tour when they shellacked England 5-0. It was always the same three fast bowlers. So somehow they managed to peak just in time. I suppose from an England point of view, all the things we're talking about, you know, poor preparation, uh, not enough miles in the legs, that may, might make a difference this time. And England have got few more options, haven't they, for how they would rotate their fast bowlers, I think, than Australia seems to have at the moment. Yeah, I, the Steve Smith angle is fascinating because, you know, he was kind of obviously stripped quite publicly of the captaincy. I saw Ian Chappell this week 
criticised the choice of Steve Smith as vice-captain for the test team. He said, cheating is cheating. I don't care how small or how big. And Shane Warne says that Australia are inviting ridicule and criticism by making Steve Smith vice-captain. And, and I think you're right. I think when Pat Cummins is in the middle of, you know, a very important long spell, Steve Smith will be there sort of gesticulating and moving the field and, and, and setting the plans. So he is kind of a, a captain you know, a, a kind of captain by proxy, if you like, when Pat Cummins is, is, is in the middle of a spell. So it is a bit of a reintegration into that. It's kind of up to Cricket Australia, not us though, really. If they, if they think Steve, if they're happy after three and a half years to have Steve Smith doing that role, um, then, then that's completely up to them. I, I thought it was a bold choice, seeing as Steve Smith's captaincy ended quite acrimoniously and Tim Payne's captaincy ended quite acrimoniously. But, you know, they had to pick somebody and also they know that they'll probably get guaranteed five test matches out of Steve Smith. So that's another... You know, that's the beauty of the Ashes. There's so many sort of stories within the story. There's so many fascinating personalities and characters and battles and head-to-heads happening during an Ashes series. And the Steve Smith vice-captaincy is just another, another thing that's going to be running underneath the surface throughout the five test matches. Well, I can't wait. It's finally here. There is nothing better than an Ashes series. And I have to say, the last few days, it started to feel a bit real. And I get, I'm getting a bit towards a kid on Christmas Day mood now. I'm You're getting, getting very, tingly. You're getting I tingly. am getting tingly. I'm getting very, very tingly. Um, I'm getting very tingly indeed, Dan Norcross. But um, yeah, before well, you before you leave the ashes, can I yes. just give you a bit of just a bit of? I say hot off the press news. It happened while I was fast asleep. I just went for my phone, but I'm actually zooming on the phone, so I can't find it. But there was a tweet out this morning from Cricket Western Australia, because of course the last test is due to be in Perth, and they've confirmed that all players and broadcasters and everyone involved in the game will have to quarantine for 14 days if entering Western Australia. Now, that poses a bit of a problem because I'm not sure there's 14 days between the scheduled fourth test and the fifth test. So that means it looks almost certain that Perth will not have the fifth test. You'd imagine that they'll, have, they'll rearrange it. And then the options for rearrangement look really interesting. But part of the reason they didn't want to rearrange the West Australia game is because that game takes place at a really favourable time, really favourable hours, because they're two hours, three hours behind. So it's on primetime TV in Australia from sort of on the eastern seaboard from two till whatever it is, you know, eight hours after that, two till 9.30 or so. So they're looking at sticking in another day-night game. The options currently are another day-night game at the MCG. They could do a day-night game at Sydney, but it pours down with rain in Sydney all the time, as Finney knows. And uh, the other option, which is, I think it would be a fun one, but I'm not sure they'd go for it, it would be Tasmania, which would probably be quite favourable to England because it's a bit more like English conditions. So um, and it's really bizarre. We find ourselves at the start of an Ashes series only a week away and we don't actually know the venue for the fifth and final game. It, it, it just feels like this is another, we've talked about it a bit already. We've talked about the rain and the, you know, the England, uh, the Australia players being in quarantine. Again, this is the blind optimist Englishman coming through, but it just feels like, you know, we've just over a week to go until the ashes. There's just a lot of complication and a lot of disorganisation that might just allow England to spring a bit of a surprise in this series. You know, it feels like both teams are going in slightly underprepared and one of the biggest advantages of a home test series and we see it all over the world, is that the home test nation tends to win, is the fact that you know the conditions, you it's organised, you know the hotel you're staying in, you can go home and see your family in between. But that's kind of all up in the air. Do you, it could be a massive difference, couldn't it, Finney? It feels like almost a neutral test series in a way. 
Yeah, I mean, sort of. And I think that's the case because they're in quarantine in Brisbane and both teams are operating under the same circumstances. But from being here in Sydney for a few days um, and knowing what it's like in Melbourne as well at the moment being similar to here, it feels pretty normal where, where we are at the moment. So I'd imagine that normality of the series will slip back in for the second and third tests. I mean, the fifth test is an interesting proposition because if I was an Australian administrator I'd be looking at that game at Hobart and thinking well we don't want it at Hobart because if the series is down to the wire and you're bringing the world-class bowlers of the English unit in with miles in their legs and rhythm under their belts then you're giving them every chance to win the series and and to be honest if I was them I'd be solely thinking about how are we going to win this series because the only redemption that you have when you come back from controversy is being successful on the pitch and that's very much what they'll be eyeing. So if that last test is moved to Hobart, I'd be surprised. I'd I'd imagine they're going to try and play it on the flattest wicket that they possibly can and hope that their bowlers can do the job for them. And that'd probably be the MCG. But but any any day-night game does bring Anderson certainly into the the game, doesn't he? I mean, England made it quite a big part of their strategy in the last series was was really thinking about the Adelaide test, the pink ball test being the second game. And Anderson had an incredible session in that game, as I recall. Another day-night game, albeit on what would probably be a flatter deck, if they do do it at the MCG, would would also be potentially helpful for England's bowlers, you would think. Uh, just one other question to you, Penny, because you're out there at the moment. Omicron has suddenly arrived to much fear and, and terror, the, the Omicron variant. And Australia is only just emerging from its lockdowns. Has it, have you got any sense at all of of how that might throw a spanner in the works, how there might be further lockdowns and how organisation might be changed or is it a bit too early to tell at the moment? Well, well, at the moment, I think international travellers have to quarantine for three days now when they come into the country, as opposed to I just walked in, had a PCR and then was on my merry way out in Australia. But I think now there's going to be a more strict assessing of people when they come into the country. So you're locked down for three days and then you get a PCR and once you're, that comes back negative, you're allowed out and about again. So I think that's changed in New South Wales and Victoria. How the other states are reacting to it, I don't know. But at the moment, our transition around the country isn't being affected because of the new variant. But also, we've seen so many times with every country in the world that things can change so quickly. So we are also prepared for the fact that that might be the case. That it might be difficult to move somewhere or might have to quarantine for a couple of days. Yeah, we've been very pragmatic about it at the moment, but um, you know, yeah, we're going to have to be and so are the players going to have to be in order to make this series work. I mean, who knows? They might end up playing all five games at the Gabba and you'll be doing a whole lot of them off the telly in Sydney. I'm not going <laughs> to complain about that. Finney looks quite happy with that prospect. Does look happy about it. It's a nice, nice city, Sydney. Finney looks quite pleased with that. Doesn't have to do any any bullshit moving around. Easy. Uh, well, yeah. let's move on to a different test series. And what a test match! I mean, feels like we've been spoiled. There's been some really memorable test matches over the last eighteen months or so, and this one is as good as it gets. So, India versus New Zealand, and it all went down to the wire. And New Zealand managed to bat out to survive for a draw. On the final day in Kanpur, it uh, it ended up just one wicket India needed to win that test match. But New Zealand hung on thanks to the debutant Ravindra, who got 18 off 91 balls in invaluable innings. It was an amazing test match. 
I was following it constantly. It was it was going on over the night if you're in England. So I was sort of waking up every morning and catching up on what I'd missed and trying to watch as much of it as I can. But um, it was a brave declaration at first from India. They left uh, New Zealand needing about 280 on the final day and then took a wicket late at night through Ashwin. And I just thought at this point, here we go. India, day five, you know, New Zealand back against the wall. I can't see them making it to tea, to be honest. But you should never question plucky old New Zealand Tom Latham got 52 of 146 and uh, Somerville as well came in as a night watchman, 36 of 110. Kane Williamson survived 112 balls as well before he fell to Jadeja, who took four wickets, all LBW, which was classic Jadeja on a day five pitch. And then eventually, bad light came and saved the New Zealand team. Unbelievable test match. It's the reason that the five-day format will never be beaten. And also, it's another advert for why five days should always be the format, isn't it, Daniel? Oh, of course it is. I mean, there's no doubt about that. The only way you make four-day cricket is if you flog the players to bowl 110 overs, 120 overs in a day, which is completely unreasonable. So, of course, you stick to five-day cricket. It was There were some brilliant stories in there as well. I mean, there was that incredible first wicket partnership for New Zealand in their first innings when it felt that, you know, on a deteriorating pitch, maybe 340 was too many and then Young and Latham. Tom Latham, I tell you, is one of the most underrated opening batters in the world and indeed cricketers um he got 90 odd didn't he young got 89 these are guys I like you know young we saw in england last summer he came in for i can't remember who it was 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 out and it was a pure light for light replacement they just got batter after batter who knows exactly what to do those, those two put 150 odd and then right at the death i mean new zealand was sort of saved by bad light but only 12 minutes of bad light in fairness and they did bat out the 90 overs in that day so it's a totally valid performance and the bloke at the end there Ratchin Ravindra named after by his, by his father named after a combination of Rahul Dravid and Sachin Tendulkar that's why it's called Ratchin <laughs> I did not know and, that <laughs> yeah and it's and it was on his debut and it was Rahul Dravid's first first match as uh, as Test Supremo for India as well I mean so it was a beautiful story in there, uh, and he batted magnificently. The pitch had become a monster. It was it, it was a really good Test match pitch, but obviously by the end of the fifth day, it was keeping so low, and there was significant assistance for Jadeja, and there was this really strange kind of atmosphere in the grounds. It's slightly polluted air, and you you know you were sort of peering through the gloom. Uh, it was beautiful, and it sort of took me back to that period when England had a whole series of. Uh, nine wicket down draws at Finial, remember? I mean, there was the famous Monty Panasar, Jimmy Anderson one, but there are two out in South Africa. Graham Onions. There was an amazing one in, yeah, Graham Onions. And there was an amazing one in New Zealand. Finny, were you, you playing in that one where England managed to. Yeah. Weren't you there? I got a pair in that game. Oh, you got a pair? No, I got a pair. Yeah, I was night watchman for that game. <laughs> so I oh, got God. out the night before. <laughs> oh right so, oh, no. that's, so that, that's intriguing so you've basically got a whole day of attrition but you don't have to do anything your your work is no, done I was just, feet up yeah I was just sat there chilling yeah I batted at three in that test match <laughs> how many how many balls did you nobly take for the team the night before not actually that many I got done by an amazing catch I think off um, Kane Williamson's bowling like in it was pitch black and there was 10 men around the back because it was the last over of the night. So I wasn't going to take a run. Whoever was at the other end was just going to sit on their bat hand or so. And I just went prodded forward to to um, to tap one on its head. And it just took a thick outside edge. And someone took like a one-handed catch about an inch off the floor. 
whilst right up in my face. Um, so it was a good catch, but I was pretty pissed off that I got out. Because actually, that, that's the best I've ever batted in my life, that series. If you didn't know, that's the series where I got my Test Match 50. Um, <laughs> oh, so I felt yeah, in great form. Yeah. Now, I actually, yeah. that, we've talked about this pair Test Match before. This is the Test Match where you had scored a half century. So some local solicitors sponsored your cricket bat. Is that right? And then, and then they sponsored your cricket bat and then you got a pair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How how are they doing that that firm of solicitors? Any any idea they're still in business? Uh, they keep getting letters off them saying, "Give us our money back." But I, uh, <laughs> uh, a bit scary when it comes from solicitors. It would be think... less scary if it was coming from Gunnar Moore, really, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I, I think I said this at the time, but can you imagine being some poor Kiwi bloke who just you know he's going through a really rough divorce with his missus, and he's like, "Oh, the only thing." that I can always fall back on, no matter how bad my life gets, I can always watch the cricket and enjoy the cricket. And he turns on the TV and there's Stephen Finn getting a pair with the solicitors that his wife's using on, on his bat. <laughs> 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 oh, fuck, I can't get away from this bloody thing. <laughs> I wonder where you were going with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the topic of Tom Lafer, by the way, Norcross, you mentioned he's an underrated opening batsman. He's got a batting average of 42 in 60 matches, and that's opening the batting in New Zealand a lot of the time as well. He really is an unbelievable... I mean, England would be desperate for a batsman oh, like that to, yeah. and that, to open and, the batting for England in the last few years. An opener averaging 42 in the last five or six years, is, that, those are serious numbers. You look at every opener that's come to England, for example, in the last five or six years, and some of them have been really brilliant. There was, there was a, the series four last that England played against India no one from either side got a half century opening the batting until the last test. So, you know, it's it's definitely got exponentially harder to open. Uh, he and Karuna Ratner, actually, uh, two guys who have been doing really well at the top of the order that people just don't really notice a great deal. They play for, if you like, unfashionable countries and their performances go under the radar, don't they? Yeah, Karuna Ratner's four test centuries already this year in counting. I was looking at this this game the other day and I thought... You know, New Zealand, they always seem to sort of punch above their weight because of how small a nation it is and how small their pool of cricketers is. But also, their lack of a spin bowler. If you put Daniel Vittori in this New Zealand side, I think they'd be pretty much the perfect test side. So Salvi and Jameson took eight of the wickets in the first innings and then took six in the second innings as well. So they've had to go to India with a with an army of fast bowlers and try and, and try and win that way because their spin options haven't really performed for them so far. They don't really have a quality spinner. And you just think, how good is this side that even without a spinner, they are still world test champions at the moment? Finney, did you ever play in an England side or a Middlesex side even for that matter where you either thought there was, you know, we're one player away. If we had this player, we'd be absolutely perfect. Or did a player come into the side where you thought this is the final missing piece of the jigsaw of this? Well, I suppose when someone like Ben Stokes emerges, like he did in 2013-14, he scores the 100 at Perth. And I think he took he might have took six for in that series as well at some stage. Um, in it, I think he took six for at the SCG in the mm. fifth test match. So when someone like that comes along who can just be the perfect balancer to a team, because up until that point, the England teams that I started playing in, you played six batsmen, a wicketkeeper and four bowlers. And your four bowlers would do a lot of the donkey work, which obviously helped with us having Graham Swan because uh, he could bowl on the first day and go at two and over for 20 overs, which would mean that the seamers would get a break. And then Jonathan Trott or Paul Collingwood would bowl five or six overs just before the new ball. 
and then the seamers would get going again. But when someone like Ben Stokes emerges, I think, I mean, we talk about him a lot and how good he is, but the fact that he's so capable with both facets, it means that you can rotate your seamers more, your seamers can be fresher. And probably the fact that Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad have lasted this long in their careers is also probably partly to do with the fact the emergence of Ben Stokes has meant that their workload has been um, lessened slightly. Yeah, we talked about when we had Jack Leach on this podcast as well, that in a, Ben Stokes being out of the England side has actually affected Jack Leach's career as well, because it's kind of meant that they can't afford to, to pick poor Leachy. Uh, so it just shows the impact that Ben Stokes has on this test side. So if we can still, if we can please stop feeding him these oversized tablets in the build up to the ashes, that would be great. We, re- we really do need him. Now, I want to move on very quickly, guys. But um, so last week, when we were actually talking very seriously about the, the Rafiq situation, the Tim Payne situation, Alex Hales and everything that comes with it. And uh, I made a passing comment about my, my view of social media. It was actually quite a serious point. I was saying that the problem with social media is it's so extreme. So no, I said nobody ever goes onto Twitter to post about an average day. So you either go onto Twitter to say I've had the best day ever or the worst day ever, and that gets put into everything. So politics, sport, whatever it is, you only post extreme opinions because everything in the middle seems boring and you end up with what feels like a really divided social media platform. I thought it was actually quite an intelligent point. Uh, well, thank you. To, thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Well, uh, thank you to the people that then started tweeting the Zero Ducks given Twitter at Zero Ducks Pod just to let me know that they've had an average day. So Scott says, just so you know, I've had an average Friday, decent day at work, nothing special. Wife has gone out with friends, I'm about to put my boys to bed. Then I'm going to cook a steak sourdough baguette. So thank you very much for letting us know this. Now, this is this is how we're going to save the world. You know, I mean, I think I think baking a sourdough baguette elevates it moderately above the average. Oh, okay. I would say. I mean, if you're not if you if you've gone past a bakery and bought a sourdough baguette. Mm. and then rustled up a sort of bit of steak and thrown it in. I think that would that would stay average. But if he's made his own sourdough, I think he's um, yeah, just just slightly above average. Well, maybe... Sounds Scott, like he's boasting to me. Sounds like he's done you, to yeah. be honest. Sounds like he's done you, yeah. Look yeah, at rain, my sourdough. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, rain oh, your oh, fucking neck. I sourdough. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> Put it and slap it in between a bit of Hovis 50-50, mate. Couldn't give a fuck about your sourdough. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm the one who's supposed to be grumpy. It's 8.30 in the bloody morning. <laughs> I love how we haven't got okay. that many listeners. And one of the few <laughs> listeners that we did had who was interacting on social media and everything, Finney's just told him he doesn't give a fuck about his sourdough. Let's see if Finney can destroy someone else. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, well, Kev, uh, Kev thought he'd get involved. So he replied to Scott on Twitter and he said, I've had three cans of Camden Pale Ale and watched Corrie. What do we make of that? Yeah. Average? I think that is, or that would be average for me. That would be, yeah, three cans. Bit below average, really, to be brutally honest with you. <laughs> it's actually bleak. But, um, well, I was going to say, if, uh, he's giving it the big ones again. You drink canned and parallel, you can say, oh, I, three cans of lager or three cans of Polish special stuff, like the stuff that gets you really fucked up. Yeah. I, I don't care that it's canned and parallel. <laughs> You're being posh, mate. You're being fancy. <laughs> Got a point. He's got a point. This Come might on, let's keep new, this going. This might be my <laughs> new favourite feature that we hadn't planned at all. Just finny tearing into our listeners. <laughs> uh, okay, well, okay, well, let's see what, uh, what you make of this. Philip tweeted us saying, having a very average chilled Saturday, 
I'm building Thomas and Friends train track with buildings made from Duplo with my three-year-old after going shopping. Okay, well, already he's boasted, hasn't he, that he's got a three-year-old and that he's, uh, oh, look at me, I'm, so, I'm such a new man, I went shopping, didn't leave it to the missus, that's, that's the implication there. And then he's getting down and dirty by making the actual track with the kids, showing great parenting skills. It's performative parenting, that is. Mm. Is that is that would that be fair to say? I think you're spot on, yeah. <laughs> Although saying that, saying that, I loved Thomas the Tank Engine when I was a kid, so I, I can fully respect that. I had the Thomas the Tank Engine train set. And now that's me giving it the big ones, you know. I had Look the Thomas the Tank Engine train set. Yeah, and what? <laughs> yeah, what's it to you? I had the fat controller and everything. What do you have? Oh, that's what Dad's come as this morning. <laughs> 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 I knew I recognised you, Dan. <laughs> I'll tell you what to post a photo of Dan Norcross's outfit for this podcast so that you can picture it. We'll post it later in the week. It is a thing of beauty. Sorry, Dan, you were saying before I called I'll you the fat prop- controller. <laughs> proper average day yesterday. I got up about 9.30. I had an extremely ordinary breakfast. I sat in front of uh, the fifth episode of Doctor Who, which I'd taped from the night before, and then walked across the common to go and, with Catherine, go to a garden centre to buy baubles for a friend's Christmas tree, came back, watched Countdown, had kind of some food, and watched an episode of Shetland and went to bed. That's an average day. That is an average day. No, that's a bleak, tragic. <laughs> that's, no, that's way You're below right, average. Actually. That's, that's bleak, way below it's tragic. Yeah. It's depressing. It's soul destroying. I actually saw the life, the final little flicker of life left your eyes as you told us about it, actually. Northrop. I think the word garden centre was the moment when I really lost the will to it. <laughs> it often is. Better men than you have seen their life slip away at a garden centre, Norcross. Uh, well, let's go through the final one. From Jack, he says, uh, so let me tell you about my day. I got up. I have been and done the weekly food shop. I've come home to clean the flat. I'm now going to cook some dinner and watch some bang average Saturday night TV. Just how day should be. Hashtag average day. I think you and Jack would get along quite well, Norcross. Yeah, I'm, I can't find fault with that, but I'm expecting Finney can. I'm giving him a little bit of thinking time. Mm. But it, that sounds to me like that is a bang average day. And I don't think he's boasted much there, has he? No, it's pretty average. I'm happy with that. There you go. He's he's had the best average day out of all of us. (laughs) Well, that is how we are going to save social media. No more extreme polarising views. You don't only have to tweet when you've got an extreme opinion. Let us know when you are having a bang average day. And let us know your bang average cricket opinions as well. You know, it's, it's, it's very easy. You know, people like to get carried away and say, you know, Steve Smith's a disgrace. He's a cheat. He should never play cricket again. I'd like somebody to just tweet me going, Steve Smith's not bad at batting, is he? You know, simple, yeah. straight to the point, you know, just mundane cricketing opinions. James yeah. Anderson's had a long career, hasn't he? Stuff like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just nice average cricketing opinions. Uh, well, we'll, we'll leave on that. Acceptable but... collars. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the sort of level we're after. Just a nice average cricketing opinion or an average day. Feel free to tweet us at Zero Ducks Pod or message us on Instagram at Zero Ducks Pod as well. Um, right. Well, um, thank you, Finney, for losing uh, four of the 12 listeners that we did have. Norcross is waving his finger in the air, which normally means he's got something fascinating he wants to tell us. 
Well, I'm just not going. I'm not going to let this episode end without me genuinely expressing my pride and joy in your performance, Toby Tarrant, on this oh. whole week's House of Games. When I, I, I've got to be honest with you, when I saw you floundering over a couple of questions in episode one, I mm. wondered if you had the steel to see it through. Mm. And then you, you won those first two, and I was very delighted. I was delighted with your choice of prizes. Very disappointed for you that you didn't get the luggage as Nick Helm came hurtling back at you. Yep. And then I was genuinely, it was one of the great sporting moments of the week. And I don't know how much you were aware of it, but I was counting every point. And as it came to the answer smash in the fifth and final day, there was a moment when uh, it was, there was a, the Lionel Richie song and the long jump. And Nick said, how long jump, which is, mm. it was the wrong answer when it was all night long jump. Yeah, He lost a point and then Athena lost a point. And had they both got those answers correct, they would both of them leapfrogged over you. You'd have been in third. And uh, I think Athena might have come through to win the whole thing, pushing you down, pushing you down I know. to second. But instead, you held your nerve. You got a crucial question right at the end. It was absolutely bloody thrilling stuff. I punched the air with delight. And, and then you had the decency to give away those crap Russian dolls to the two women that didn't <laughs> win, which I thought was a, an act of incredible generosity. I'm properly proud of you. I mean, we're a grumpy and miserable podcast for the most part, but you showed the sunnier side of humanity. And uh, there's genuinely a small tear developing here, but that's largely because I haven't had enough sleep. Well, it's because you shoved a 50p-sized tablet up your ass this morning and it was meant (laughs) to go in your mouth. And the toothpick went in the wrong place. (laughs) (laughs) But Well, thank you very much, Norcross. Now, I am going to uh, speak to Richard Osmond's House of Games because I think both of you would be excellent contestants on that show as well. But my advice to you, as proven by that final day, is keep your powder dry in the answer smash round. It took me four days to learn that. Just sit back and watch everybody lose some points is the way to play that round. And I learned that towards the end. And I let Athena and Nick cock up rather than me do anything oh. spectacular. It was thrilling, Toby. It was thrilling. It was a tactical genius. Hats, hats, literally off. Thank you very much. I mean, and, and it sticks two fingers up at those people that say that we should be having four-day Richard Osman's House of Games. <laughs> <laughs> keep to the five-day format always keep to the five-day format always uh, Finney I'll let you get back to uh, to the Australian nightlife and uh, Norcross I'll let you get back to the garden centre see you next week chap cheers back to bed well, see ya bye 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 Podcast Network.